0: Climate Law Matters. Interview with Dr. Anna McLean, Geothermal Energy. Hello, listener, and welcome back to our podcast, Climate Law Matters, in which we explore the legal developments across different sectors to address the key issue of climate change. I am Steph David, a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers, specialising in environmental and climate change cases. Uh, Today, I'm very excited to continue my discussion with Dr. Anna McLean, a lecturer at the University of Newcastle, and a key researcher on a project on net zero geothermal research for district infrastructure engineering. And in this part of the interview, we're going to be discussing deep geothermal energy. So Dr. McLean, thank you very much for returning to the show. To dive straight in, what exactly is deep geothermal energy used for?
1: Deep geothermal energy is hotter than a shallow geothermal energy, so it has a wider range of use. So it can be used for heating and hot water in the same way as shallow geothermal energy, but on a larger scale. So for example, in district heating networks, it can also sometimes be used if the temperature is high enough to produce electricity.
0: And so what are the current risks in respect of deep geothermal
1: energy? Thinking about environmental risks first. The risks are similar to those for shallow geothermal energy, but generally risks are a little higher. You're having to drill down much further into the ground. So there are potential higher environmental risks. The bigger operations and their construction can cause environmental disturbance. You've got noise, alterations to the soil, visual impacts and so on. And like shallow geothermal energy, deep geothermal energy can be extracted using either an open or closed loop system system. So for open loop systems, again, there's a risk of over-abstraction of water and the environmental impacts that that has, such as reduced groundwater and potential for subsidence as well as the ecological impacts. Again, the abstraction of heat through either an open or closed loop system can reduce the temperature of the ground or the groundwater from which it's being extracted. And the reinjection of cooled water in the open loop system can exacerbate this by contributing to a lowering of the temperature of the ground where it's being reinjected back into. And there's also this potential for when you're extracting and reinjecting water to increase seismic risk. We've also got the water from deep geothermal resources can contain high concentrations of potentially harmful matters. So there are risks associated with this if it gets released into the ground accidentally or through the reinjection process. And in a closed loop system, the fluid that's actually circulating through the pipes can also be harmful to the environment if there's any leakage.
0: So that's the principle sort of environmental risks, obviously, a regulation would need to address. And what about the other risks, so financial risks, for example?
1: Yeah, so there are quite significant financial risks for deep geothermal energy projects. And um, The drilling and the construction of the boreholes to extract deep geothermal energy is very expensive. And when you carry out the drilling, you don't really know whether it's going to be successful. It's very difficult to know what the yield will be of a particular deep geothermal resource. Until you drill drilled down to it, not enough is known about the subsurface for operators to know with any real certainty what they're going to find in terms of how productive the geothermal resource will be until they've undertaken that very costly drilling. It is estimated that the drilling and exploration costs can be up to half sort of the overall cost of the operation. There's also risks in relation to being able to sell the heat or electricity that's produced unless the operation is part of a larger development project that sort of brings with it its own market, as it were, customers. So the operator needs to be able to access a heat network or electricity network and connection to those is not guaranteed. The visual impacts of a deep geothermal operation are not really considered to be a major barrier. The biggest visual impacts occur... Whilst the boreholes and any power plants are being constructed, but once they're constructed, the visual impacts of the borehole are actually quite small. The surface footprint of the borehole in Newcastle, the project that I'm involved in there, is essentially just like a large manhole. You could easily walk past it without knowing it was there. And any power station or other building, it will have a long-term impact on the landscape, but no more really than other power plants. Measures can be taken to mitigate the visual impacts through shielding and the like. The question I asked you last time in respect of running out of heat,
0: does that apply in the same way to deep geothermal energy, particularly as the abstraction of heat is faster than the recharge rate?
1: Yes, it applies similarly to deep geothermal heat. It is possible to extract deep geothermal heat at a faster rate than it can regenerate and that can reduce the productivity of the operation and shorten its lifespan. And as all geothermal resources have different characteristics and behave differently, what constitutes a sustainable rate varies from operation to operation, and it's difficult, if not impossible, to ascertain in advance of drilling. The last time we briefly discussed the kind
0: of intersection between private property rights and shallow geothermal energy, and you've indicated there is some ambiguity there in respect of who actually owns the heat as distinct from the land. How
1: does that work in the context of deep geothermal energy? Who owns that resource? At present, it's unclear who owns geothermal resources in the UK. It's essentially treated as an unowned resource which everyone can access. We have legislation in place in the Infrastructure Act that allows everyone to access and extract geothermal heat that's 300 metres or more below the surface, irrespective of who owns the land above it. So on the one hand, this is very good for facilitating access to deep geothermal resources, but it also means that there's currently no means of guaranteeing that you will have exclusive access to a deep geothermal resource if you set up an operation to extract deep geothermal energy, there's nothing present to stop somebody else tapping in from the same geothermal resource. Do you see that as the kind of principal legal risk associated with that particular right? It is certainly significant. And, you know, the research is ongoing as to how much interference there is potentially between different systems. But I think the lack of being able to guarantee sufficient heat to be able to guarantee the long-term economic viability of a deep geothermal operation is a significant factor. And how is this all likely to change? It may change in the future. I'm not sure if I could estimate how likely it is to change. But with growing recognition of the value of geothermal energy, it is possible that the government or landowners may wish to claim ownership of geothermal resources and charge for the extraction of them. So that's another potential unknown future cost for operators that in the future they may have to pay a certain rate for the heat that they extract. And
0: is deep geothermal energy regulated in a very similar way to shallow geothermal energy?
1: Yes, it is. So we've got essentially the same regimes applicable. The extraction license for abstractions of water over 20 cubic metres per day. So this will apply for your open loop deep geothermal energy operations. They tend to be larger, or will be caught by this requirement. But again, obviously doesn't apply to your closed-loop operations that aren't abstracting water. An environmental permit will also be required for the discharge from open-loop deep geothermal operations and that exemption that we had for your ground source heating systems for your extraction and use of your shallow geothermal energy, that doesn't apply to your deep geothermal systems. So they would require a discharge environmental permit from the Environment Agency. Currently that doesn't apply to closed loop systems but there are some changes in the pipeline to the environmental permitting regime which may mean that closed loop systems will be caught by the environmental permitting regime to the extent that they have the potential to increase the temperature of the ground both in relation to the heat that they're extracting so it's a little unclear how exactly that will work out in practice. Again planning permission so uh, regulation by local planning authorities through the requirement for planning permission. So your permitted development rights that apply to your ground source heating and cooling systems doesn't apply to deep geothermal operations. An application for planning permission will be required for your deep geothermal operations and any buildings and infrastructure needed with that. And that applies whether it's an open or closed loop system. So here we have the local planning authority having the opportunity to oversee the project decide whether to grant a planning permission to attach conditions to a planning permission to mitigate the impacts that the operation may have. and In addition to that, we have the environmental impact assessment regime, which means that not all deep geothermal energy operations, but a number of them will be caught by the environmental impact regime, those that have the potential to have a greater or significant impact on the environment. And that means that they will be caught by the environmental impact assessment regime, meaning that the local planning authority will have before them quite a comprehensive report of the potential environmental impacts of the proposed operation before they decide whether to grant planning permission or not and what conditions they might need to impose to mitigate the impacts of the operation. And
0: what, in your view, are the particular problems of those various regimes in the context specifically of deep geothermal energy?
1: Well, again, I think it's this sort of lack of regulation of your closed loop systems by the environment agency in any event and the local planning authorities are the ones that then have that regulated control over your closed loop systems But your local planning authorities, their primary purpose is not to protect the environment. They have to take all sorts of things into consideration when deciding whether to grant planning permission or not. They're not required to give any particular priority to the environmental pros and cons of a proposed deep geothermal energy operation. So this might mean that they grant planning permission for an operation despite the fact that it might have detrimental impacts on the environment. Alternatively, it can also mean that they reject planning applications for a deep geothermal energy project despite the benefits that it will have to the larger aim of reducing greenhouse gas emissions because of the local impact that it will have, a lack of one of the concerns of the local community. So that can work both ways as to whether they allow projects to go ahead despite environmental impacts that they have or that they might develop a practice of not allowing deep geothermal energy projects to proceed despite their benefits because of local concerns and local impacts.
0: Yeah, and it comes back to the point that you made in the last episode in respect of kind of planning judgment and it being a matter for local planning authority, how much weight to give each of those factors in the kind of planning balance. Just going back to the paper that you wrote, which I mentioned in the last episode, so that's the paper in the Journal of Energy Policy. You emphasize the need for data and better information regarding the management of geothermal resources, particularly deep geothermal energy. Why is
1: that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the drilling for deep geothermal energy is very expensive and the uncertainty as to whether drilling will be successful or not is a significant risk for investors. So the more information that can be made available to potential operators regarding the subsurface and other geothermal operations to help them assess the feasibility and long-term performance of future deep geothermal operations before they undertake that really expensive drilling, the more that this risk can be reduced and investment encouraged. And What are your views
0: on the extent to which the Energy Security Plan and related documents published earlier in the year actually address
1: these issues and risks that you've identified? I'm not sure if they really address the risks to any great extent. What it has been good to see is an increase in attention on heat networks. So if we have a geothermal operation that produces heat that can connect to a heat network, then this is a great way for them to be able to sell their heat to a large number of customers. Similarly, the government states that it wants or the plans to speed up electricity network connection and build new networks. And this will facilitate the sale of electricity from geothermal power plants, because at the moment there isn't that guarantee that they'll be able to connect into electricity networks that do have a limit on their capacity. And also the plans to take a more strategic approach to the planning of energy. Supply may also help geothermal energy find its place. With regard to contracts for difference, the potential for the operator of a geothermal power plant to be able to obtain a contract for difference take some of the risk out of the sale of geothermal power at a price that makes it economically viable, but only once that electricity has been generated that these measures don't address the significant financial risk relating to the initial exploratory and drilling phases of a deep geothermal operations and the barrier that this continues to pose for investors and expansion of the industry. How,
0: in your view, do you think government policy in respect of deep geothermal energy could be improved?
1: There are a number of ways that it could be improved. The diverse range of potential environmental impacts of deep geothermal energy means that it would be advantageous for all projects to be regulated, ideally for all projects to require an environmental impact assessment before they can be given permission to proceed. If this is going to be implemented through the planning regime, then it would be beneficial, I think, to have some planning practice guidance there in relation to geothermal energy in the same way that there is for mineral abstraction. Because if you've got local planning authorities being the ones who are primarily overseeing geothermal energies and you might have different local planning authorities all taking different views and perspectives and having some sort of central government guidance would help local planning authorities in their decision-making and encourage a consistency in decision-making. Alternatively, as I mentioned with shallow geothermal energy, if we could bring all deep geothermal energy extraction systems into the environmental permitting regime, that would be an alternative that would give the environment agency regulatory powers in respect of all deep geothermal energy operations. So this would be advantageous in terms of having just one regulator overseeing all deep geothermal energy systems. So that would give rise to greater consistency, decision making, and also facilitate a central record of operations. In terms of making information available to potential geothermal operators as well, we could look then for inspiration from the information sharing machine that we have and that the North Sea Transactional Authorities has the National Data Repository, it's publicly accessible data if we could establish a system for building up data regarding the subsurface in an accessible and comprehensive way then that, that could help reduce financial risks of those initial phases of geothermal operations. So just drawing
0: this all together, I mean, bearing in mind what you said in our last episode in respect of shallow geothermal energy and what you said today in respect of deep geothermal energy, if you had to pick one legal barrier, so the biggest legal barrier in terms of scaling up the use of geothermal energy, what would it be?
1: The biggest barrier, I think, is the cost of deep geothermal operations, but that's a financial barrier. So in terms of legal barriers, I think it's a complexity of the licensing and permitting regime. It's piecemeal. There's a number of different licenses and permissions that might be needed. And certainly for deep geothermal projects, you know, that have to go through the multiple licensing regime because they're not subject to the exemptions. The time that it can take, currently you're looking at years to get through the licensing regimes. And just building on From that point, what
0: in your view is the most interesting or exciting legal development in this form of energy?
1: Perhaps the most significant legal developments are those in relation to the plans to encourage heat networks. If we can establish a society in which we introduce many more heat networks, then it's an ideal means by which geothermal operations can sell their heat so with the Energy Security Bill, which has introduced a regulatory framework for heat networks, powers to enable heat zoning, facilitating heat networks by enabling the identification and designation of areas that are suitable for heat networks, an introduction of protections for customers with regard to pricing and reliability of supply, an extension of Off GEM's role and what have you there. That's great if we can establish a society that is happy with the use of heat networks I think that would have a potential there in being able to create a market there for geothermal Energy.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. McLean. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. And we look forward to hearing further from you in due course.